Let's open our Bibles or navigate on your device over to Jeremiah chapter 41. Jeremiah 41. We're in the middle of a, quite a long narrative, and so we find ourselves in verse 16 of Jeremiah 41. We're going to read through chapter 43, verse 13. The topic, the Jews asked the Lord if they should continue fleeing to Egypt, even though they have no intentions of obeying him, if he says no. The title of our message, to flee or not to flee, that is the question. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about how we approach you in prayer and whether our hearts are really right before you when we do it. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, be open to your correction and encouraged about uh, who you are and what you want to accomplish in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that this ancient text is inspired by you and is just as alive and powerful today as it was when it was first spoken and written and that we can glean from it insight and wisdom and see the glory of the love of your son, Jesus Christ, for us. So guide and direct us through it, Lord. Uh, by your spirit, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. What are you prepared to do? If you're a movie fan, you might recognize that line of dialogue from the 1987 film, The Untouchables. Kevin Costner played legendary lawman Elliot Ness, and Sean Connery was an Irish beat cop named Jim Malone. When Ness and Malone first meet, Malone asks Ness, what are you prepared to do? He wanted to know how far Elliot Ness was willing to go in order to stop gangster Al Capone. Later in the film, Malone is confronted in his apartment by a knife-wielding assassin. Just after he uttered another iconic line, isn't that just like a WAP brings a knife to a gunfight? He's shot by a machine gun from across the street. I can say that and remain politically correct because I'm 100% Italian. You can't. Actually, I'm 50% Sicilian, and Sicilians consider themselves a separate country. I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, never tell a Sicilian he's an Italian. Uh, anyway... Ness gets to Malone just as he's about to die, and Malone grabs him by the lapels with his dying breath, shouts again, what are you prepared to do? The challenge, what are you prepared to do, or we might say, what are you willing to do, provides a vantage point for us to approach our text in Jeremiah. Israeli soldiers and civilians were fleeing Judah, headed for Egypt. On their way, they stop and ask Jeremiah to pray and discern the Lord's will. Should they continue on to Egypt or should they stay in the land? I can almost hear Jeremiah saying to them, well, what are you prepared to do? Are you really willing to stay in the land if that's God's answer? They were not. Going to God in prayer was an exercise in hypocrisy. What about us? Are we prepared to do God's will for our lives? Do we go to prayer and then get up from prayer willing to do his will? I'll organize my thoughts around two questions. Number one, do you go to prayer with a willingness to hear God? And number two, do you get up from prayer with a willingness to heed God? Let's take a look, first of all, at going to prayer with a willingness to hear. Now, as I said earlier, we're picking up in the middle of a story. An Israeli captain named Ishmael assassinated the Babylonian-appointed Jewish governor of Judah. He also killed a few Chaldean soldiers and 70 Jewish pilgrims who were on their way to worship at the burned-out temple. 
Ishmael was fleeing to the nation of Ammon with hostages. Loyal Israeli soldiers led by Johanan pursued and overtook them. The hostages were freed and most of Ishmael's men were killed. He and eight of his men escaped. And so verse 16 of chapter 41, then Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had murdered Jedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is near Bethlehem, as they went on their way to Egypt, because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had murdered Jedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. Doesn't sound too far-fetched to think that the Chaldeans would want to exact revenge for Ishmael's rebellion by killing Johanan and the other captains. At least that was the working theory, so to Egypt they fled. You'll note that they formulated their plan prior to seeking the Lord. Our plans might make sense. They may seem right. They might involve a certain wisdom or experience. But none of those things make them the Lord's plans. We must always subordinate all those things, everything to the Lord and seek his will. I don't think their plan was bad. It seems to me that with the turmoil in the area and what had just happened, you'd better get out of there because the Babylonians are just gonna crush you. Uh, But for all their wisdom and all their thinking and all their experience as soldiers, they should have sought the Lord. They finally do seek the Lord and they get his answer, which is contrary to their wisdom. And they go ahead with their own plan anyway. And so it's just a reminder uh, because we, we do heavily rely on our own wisdom and our own experience. And wisdom and experience are great, don't get me wrong. I'd rather have a younger body with an older mind if you get my meaning. <laughs> you know, I like those science fiction shows where you're, you live backwards where you start as an old person with a lot of wisdom and then you get younger, that's the way to go. But, uh, you know, so there's nothing wrong with those things, but you can't rely on them without seeking the Lord. Even if 90% of the time the Lord's gonna say, yeah, that's wise, that's the right plan, I gave you that experience so that you would know what to do, it's the 10% that we're concerned about where the Lord's gonna change things up on us and shift things around where we're gonna have to really rely upon him and be flying in the face of wisdom and experience so that he can do something wonderful. Chapter 42, verse one, now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Korea, Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least of the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Now, we should have mixed feelings about this. Sure, it's great they stopped to seek the Lord, but they were already on their way, and it turns out they were insincere. They had no intention of staying in the land regardless God's answer. It's no good going to God in prayer and asking him to rubber stamp your plans. There's no use going to God in prayer unless you are willing to hear him and do what he says. There needs to be a predisposition that you will obey no matter the cost or the consequences. 
Verse four, then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you, I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. I will say about these people, they had put their lives on the line to avenge the murder of Jedaliah and the others. No one could accuse them of being slackers. They were busy serving God. They were in the thick of it especially the soldiers. They had been fighting against the Chaldeans. Now they were willing to uh, initially submit to their rule. Uh, Ishmael created a rebellion, so they went after him. They They were serving the Lord. But for all that, they were not really predisposed to obey God in all things. I might be predisposed to obey God in some things, even in most things, but not in all things. I can't justify ignoring or refusing God's will just because I am mostly obedient. I find that this is a problem in my life where maybe if God is moving in an area or leading in an area and I think, I I just, I'm not on board with that. I'm doing all these other things. I'm mostly obedient and this is something that I'm a little bit hesitant about. The rich young ruler comes to mind and his encounter with Jesus in the New Testament. You remember the story. He came to Jesus and asked what he must do to inherit eternal life. He'd been doing a lot by keeping God's commandments, at least outwardly. The Lord said, you know, you need to do this, this, and this, and he listed out some of the commandments, and the rich young ruler, quite honestly, I believe, said, all these I've been doing since a youth. And then Jesus told him he lacked one thing, And the quote goes like this, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He didn't do it. He was unwilling to go from there obeying Jesus. He was mostly obedient, but in the one thing that the Lord asked him to do, which was costly and had consequences, he refused and he went away sorrowful. He's an example to us of what we're talking about this morning, of someone who can be religious, someone who can be following the Lord, someone who can be doing every, we would say almost firing on all cylinders. And then the Lord, as we come to him in prayer, he says, something else I would like you to do here. And we can be like the rich young ruler and say, no, uh, that's, that, that makes me sorrowful. I, I'm not going to do that. I'll just continue to do most of the things that you want me to do. Verse seven, it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He called Johanan the son of Korea and captains of the forces which were with him and all the people from the least even to the greatest. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel to whom you sent me to present your petition before him, If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you were afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord. For I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. 
And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. Ten days may not seem long, but with the potential for the Chaldean army to be in hot pursuit, it must have seemed like an eternity. Kudos to them at least for their patience in waiting for an answer from Jeremiah. The 10 days also emphasize that Jeremiah really sought the Lord. He wasn't just giving them his interpretation of his previous prophecies or his own feelings about the matter. They came to him and said, what should we do? I think Jeremiah knew what they ought to do because he had had previous uh, prophecies from the Lord about what was supposed to happen. Uh, but he, he, he took this very seriously. He may have even known they were insincere. I mean, he lived with these people his whole life. They'd never been sincere before, but still he took this very seriously, and as a man of God, he went before the Lord in prayer, and he labored until he received an answer, and the Lord delayed for 10 days. Also putting us on notice that God has his own timing in revealing things to us, and I found it's mostly later than sooner, haven't you? When you're really waiting on the Lord, it's mostly later than sooner because he has things to teach us. If this 10-day prayer period happened today, we'd give it a catchy name and we want to market it and repeat it every year. We'd probably call it, drop to your knees and give me 10. And we'd be building up to it and say, we're close to drop to your knees and give me 10 is coming up. There are any number of programs, some of them are annual, that Christians get involved with. I'm not even saying that they're all bad. I am saying participation is all wrong unless your heart is predisposed to obey God no matter what he might ask of you. And if it is, then you really don't need those programs and all they end up doing is distracting you uh, from the things that God really wants you to do. Now God's answer, as clear as can be, was to stay and exercise faith believing that he would protect and keep them from harm from their oppressors. It was a big step of faith, no doubt about it. For all they knew, their, their heart was telling them, their fear was telling them, their experience was telling them that the Chaldeans were going to wipe them out. And God said, if you will stay, I'll take care of you. I'll see to it that the Babylonians don't harm you. You'll have everything you want and I will protect you. Now, God knew they would not obey him, and he busts them for being hypocrites for even asking him, beginning in verse 18. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. Notice God said, when you enter Egypt, he knew they were bent on going despite his word and warning. 
They'd already decided. Why ask Jeremiah to pray? Well, they had a 50-50 chance that God might agree with them and they could feel better about going. Plus, it gave the appearance of being spiritual and folks like to keep up appearances. And so they were willing to risk it. They had a 50-50 chance that God would tell them to go ahead and go uh, and then they would appear spiritual. However, verse 19, the Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. Ouch. You were hypocrites in your hearts. That's pretty stunning. They had no intention of staying in the land. And so Jeremiah, sincere, seeks the Lord. He has his suspicions about the people. uh, And then he finds out that his suspicions were accurate. They never had any intention of staying in the land. They were just kind of hoping that God would let them. They had their own plan. They wanted God's rubber stamp on it. They wanted uh, him to say it was okay. They were not predisposed to do his will. They were unwilling to do his will. Willingness is an important prerequisite for prayer. I ran across this anonymous paragraph on willingness. It says, I am willing to receive what you send to lack whatever you don't send. I'm willing to let go of what you take. I'm willing to put myself at your disposal as you inflict things. I'm willing to do what you ask me to do and I am willing to be what you require me to be. There are many facets of willingness, including things we don't necessarily consider like God withholding things or allowing them to be taken from us or permitting things to inflict us. Nobody wants to be a Job. But the truth is, all the saints in the Bible who have preceded us to glory were put to the test. They were pushed to the limit. If you want to be called the friend of God or the most humble man that ever lived or the man after God's own heart or the greatest among men that was ever born, there are going to be many episodes in your life when your heart must say, not my will, but thy will be done. You are every bit a Bible character as Abraham, Moses, David, or John the Baptist. Draw near to God with willingness, prepared to do whatever he asks or directs. Not just most of the time, but all of the time. Make sure that when you go to prayer, you have a predisposition that you are going to receive the will of God, whatever it might be. Now, in chapter 43, we'll see that Do you get up from prayer with a willingness to actually heed God? What do you do when God's plans are not your plans? Well, you can always blame somebody else. Verse one, now it happened when Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words, that Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, the Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the proud men spoke saying to Jeremiah, you speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. Baruch, you'll remember, was Jeremiah's faithful secretary. As far as what's recorded here, he had nothing to do with God's answer. He gets drawn into it out of nowhere. 
As for Jeremiah, this was an insult to his personal integrity because they were suggesting that Baruch could influence Jeremiah to actually falsify the word of God uh, and tell them something that was untrue. This is just a classic blame-shifting technique when you know what the Bible says and you're not doing it. You just, you have to blame someone else. Uh, You need to blame someone or something else because if you admit the truth, then your only plan is to repent and to do God's will. Every now and then somebody says, yes, I know I'm sinning and I want to continue to sin. More often than not, people who are not doing the will of God, not walking with God in his will, they blame something or someone they have a condition or some person or, you know, or they have an, a brand new interpretation of the clear word of God that is unique to them in their situation. Verse four, so Johanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all nations where they had been driven Men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Jedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they went as far as Taphanes. Whether it's Catholics observing 40 days of Lent or Protestants observing some annual program, too often folks go right back to their old lives after it's over. They remain essentially unchanged. One reason is because so often a program emphasizes willpower, your willpower to accomplish something for a short time, whereas God wants willingness at all times, and then he provides the power. We need to remember as Christians, this is very simple, but we forget it because we use, very properly sometimes, we use words like discipline and obedience and all of that. Um, We need to remember, we sometimes think that God gives us something to do or, or, or leads us in a certain direction and then we need to somehow find the willpower to screw up the courage and, and figure out how to accomplish what God wants us to do, which seems so impossible. And, and we, we can do it for a while. We can do it for 10 days or 40 days or maybe for six months. And then we fall off that spiritual wagon and we have to come back to the program again and again, year after year. And and God says, wow, do you remember the day of Pentecost when I sent the Holy Spirit to indwell you and empower you? You have the power to do everything God is asking you to do. What we lack is not the willpower, but just the will where we look at something and say, I'm not gonna do that because it's gonna cost too much. I don't like the consequences of this behavior. Makes, it's gonna make me look foolish, Lord. I, 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 I'm afraid to do that. Lord, you're not really asking me to give my last dime. How am I going to live? What would happen if I did that? I, I'll do everything else, Lord, but that. And there, there's gonna come times in our life or at least one time in all of our lives when God's gonna put us to a test and say, look, uh, I, I, you're gonna have to trust me here. This is my will for you. 
And some worry or some fear or some pride is going to keep us from doing it. And we're going to fall back into thinking that, well, we're mostly obedient. That's, that's going to be good enough, isn't it? And we're going to miss out on something. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and Taphon is saying, Take large stones in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah in the clay in the brick courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house in Taphanes, and say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and he will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal pavilion over them. When he comes, he shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death and to captivity those appointed for captivity and to the sword those appointed for the sword. I will kindle a fire in the house of the gods of Egypt and he shall burn them and carry them away captive and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on a garment and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh which are in the land of Egypt and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians he shall burn with fire." Jeremiah acted out a drama before the people to emphasize the word of God with regard to the coming of Nebuchadnezzar. Essentially, he acted like he was hiding something in Egypt as if they were hiding in Egypt. And then he said, Nebuchadnezzar's gonna find you here and he's gonna destroy you just like you see me hiding these stones. So you can't say that God was silent or secretive. He's constantly trying to communicate with his people, even in their disobedience. We sometimes act as though God is silent or that his will is a secret we can't really discover. As we pointed out in our last study, God's will in most of the important roles of our daily lives has already been clearly revealed in the Bible. His moral will for our lives has been made clear as well. We, we know how we should live as Christians in the biggest, broadest areas of our life. In more specific areas, in certain particulars, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to counsel and guide us. And so the will of God is not a big secret. It's not for the mystical. Uh, you know, it doesn't require a great uh, mind to, to unravel it. God wants to tell us things more than we want to hear them. Usually isn't a question of what to do, but whether I'm willing to do it. Fear, worry, pride, or some such thing can make me unwilling, which is often exactly why God might direct me a certain way. He may need me to exercise faith that overcomes fear and worry and pride. Take these people as an example. They were afraid of the Chaldeans. They were worried about what was going to happen to them if they stayed in the land. And so God says, perfect time for you to stay in the land and trust me. I'll take care of you. I'm telling you to stay. You'll have to walk by faith believing that I will keep the, sheath, uh, the swords of the Babylonians sheathed. And they looked at that and they thought, this is the word of God through Jeremiah who's never been wrong, but we're just too afraid. And so, Jeremiah, you're not hearing from the Lord. We reject that as the word of the Lord. Baruch put you up to that. We're gonna go ahead on to Egypt anyway. And then God says, if you go there, you'll die. And they say, well, we're going anyway. And, and see, the whole thing is designed to get them to get over their fear, to go from fear to faith. To say, They've got the word of God. Somebody should have stood up. There should have been a Joshua or a Caleb who said, yeah, I'm staying here. You guys go. Go wherever you want, but I'm staying. 
I believe that God will protect us here and he will keep us here just as he said. Jeremiah has been 100% accurate. Why would he lie now? What's to gain? Uh, and, and so uh, the, the situation that you fear, the thing that you worry about, it's, it, God says this is exactly when you need to exercise faith and why I'm asking you to do something a little bit unusual. Which leads us to a realization, while I am always looking at my current situation, God is always looking to the end game. End game is the ending scenario of a particular game, when and how it will end. Most prominently, you hear this term in chess. I don't play chess, not smart enough. Can't figure it out. I still can't. The little, you know, the bishop goes this way and the rook, and I mean, it cracks me up. Um, Some of you might play, but all of us understand a little bit about the game. I've heard it said about chess masters that they see the whole board and they can foresee many possible moves, including future moves that will result from each possible current move. And they're able to play from that position of foresight. So because of experience and foresight and theory and all of that, they're able to see the board and when you move here, they know sometimes all or at least many of the possible moves should they do what they're going to do. And that's how they win in two or three moves because they've studied and they have that foresight. When it comes to our lives, we're more like the chess pieces than the chess players. We act like chess players, but we're the pieces. And we must trust God to see the whole board of our lives and to foresee all possible moves, including every future move that results from the choices we make and that every other person makes. I must admit there are times I feel like a pawn in the game of life. God says, I am a king, or ladies, you're a queen. God's not playing with you as if you were his pawn. I know we feel that way sometimes. Oh, Lord, this happened, that happened, you're allowing this, this person's better off than me, all of that, and you feel like some pawn being put out there, just sacrifice, go out there and get sacrificed for a move down the line. But God says, no, you're a king to me, Gene. Ladies, you're queens to me, and, and I'm moving you through life in a way that will eventually show you the crown that I have for you. We do know beyond any doubt the end game. Even when I'm feeling like a pawn, I know the end game. I'm predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I will awake in his likeness. Whether I die and am resurrected from the dead or whether I'm raptured without ever dying, I will have a glorified physical body like that of the Lord Jesus Christ I will face the Lord. I will be rewarded by the Lord. I'm going to live in a place that the Lord is preparing for me. I'm going to go on for eternity knowing perfectly and being known perfectly in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and every other believer from all of time. Knowing where we are headed and how we will spend eternity ought to inspire willingness to hear and obey, to go to prayer with a willingness to obey no matter what, and then get up from prayer prepared to put God's will into action no matter my thoughts about it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this look at facing our fears when we go to prayer And when you have revealed yourself to us clearly, Lord, 
uh, doing with willingness what you have asked us to do. It may seem foolish. Lord, I mean, if I read the Bible correctly, there has to be a time or times in my life when what I'm doing seems foolish to me and to others. I don't know one Bible character who wasn't a fool for Christ's sake at some point, who couldn't have had a better life, an easier life from the world's point of view, but rather chose the sufferings of Christ, chose, Lord, to suffer affliction knowing that it was but for a moment and works for us a far and more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We want to be in that flow, Lord. We don't want to think that uh, Abraham and Moses and David and John the Baptist were more special than we are. Lord, if I read the Bible correctly, each of your children is just as dear to you as another. And you're working in all of our lives. If anything, Lord, I thank you that my life is not as extreme as that of Abraham or Moses, that I can glean from the extremities that you put them through to uh, bring it into my own life and see that what I'm being asked to do isn't that big of a deal. It is to me, though, Lord, because I worry and I fret and I'm afraid. And I pray that your perfect love would cast out our fear and that every time from this day forward we go to prayer, it would be with the attitude that we will obey and that we are willing to receive your answer, whether it's plenty or want. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.